0: Chapter Two of Blind Love. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Blind Love by Wilkie Collins and Walter Besant. Chapter Two. The man she refused. Mountjoy had decided on travelling to Honey Buzzard as soon as he heard that miss henley was staying with strangers in that town having had no earlier opportunity of preparing her to see him he had considerately written to her from the inn in preference to presenting himself unexpectedly at the doctor's house how would she receive the devoted friend whose proposal of marriage she had refused for the second time when they had last met in london the doctor's place of residence situated in a solitary by-street commanded a view not perhaps encouraging to a gentleman who followed the medical profession it was a view of the churchyard the door was opened by a woman's servant who looked suspiciously at the stranger without waiting to be questioned she said her master was out mountjoy mentioned his name and asked for miss henley the servant's manner altered at once for the better she showed him into a small drawing-room scantily and cheaply furnished some poorly framed prints on the walls, a little out of place perhaps in a doctor's house, represented portraits of famous actresses who had been queens of the stage in the early part of the present century. The few books, too, collected on a little shelf above the chimney-piece, were in every case specimens of dramatic literature. Who reads these plays? Mountjoy asked himself. And how did Iris find her way into this house? While he was thinking of her, miss henley entered the room her face was pale and careworn tears dimmed her eyes when mountjoy advanced to meet her in his presence the horror of his brother's death by assassination shook iris as it had not shaken her yet impulsively she drew his head down to her with the fond familiarity of a sister and kissed his forehead oh hugh i know how you and arthur loved each other no words of mine can say how i feel for you "'No words are wanted, my dear,' he answered tenderly. "'Your sympathy speaks for itself.' He led her to the sofa and seated himself by her side. "'Your father has shown me what you have written to him,' he resumed. "'Your letter from Dublin and your second letter from this place. I know what you have so nobly risked and suffered in poor Arthur's interests. It will be some consolation to me if I can make a return.' a very poor return iris for all that arthur's brother owes to the truest friend that ever man had no he continued gently interrupting the expression of her gratitude your father has not sent me here but he knows that i have left london for the express purpose of seeing you and he knows why you have written to him dutifully and affectionately you have pleaded for pardon and reconciliation when he is to blame Shall I venture to tell you how he answered me when I asked if he had no faith left in his own child? Hugh, he said, you are wasting words on a man whose mind is made up. I will trust my daughter when that Irish lord is laid in his grave, not before. That is a reflection on you, Iris, which I cannot permit, even when your father casts it. He is hard, he is unforgiving, but he must and shall be conquered yet i mean to make him do you justice i have come here with that purpose and that purpose only in view may i speak to you of lord harry how can you doubt it my dear this is a delicate subject for me to enter on and a shameful subject for me iris broke out bitterly hugh you are an angel by comparison with that man how debased i must be to love him how unworthy of your good opinion, ask me anything you like, have no mercy on me. Oh, she cried with reckless contempt for herself. Why don't you beat me? I deserve it. Mountjoy was well enough acquainted with the natures of women to pass over that passionate outbreak instead of fanning the flame in her by reasoning and remonstrance. Your father will not listen to the expression of feeling he continued but it is possible to rouse his sense of justice by the expression of facts help me to speak to him more plainly of lord harry than you could speak in your letters i want to know what has happened from the time when events at ardoon brought you and the young lord together again to the time when you left him in ireland after my brother's death if i seem to expect too much of you iris pray remember that i am speaking with a true regard for your interests in those words he made his generous appeal to her she proved herself to be worthy of it stated briefly the retrospect began with the mysterious anonymous letters which had been addressed to sir giles lord harry's explanation had been offered to iris gratefully but with some reserve after she had told him who the stranger at the milestone really was "'I entreat you to pardon me if I shrink from entering into particulars,' he had said. Circumstances at the time amply justified me in the attempt to use the banker's political influence as a means of securing Arthur's safety. I knew enough of Sir Giles's mean nature to be careful in trusting him, but I did hope to try what my personal influence might do.' "'If he had possessed a tenth part of your courage, Arthur might have been alive and safe in England at this moment. I can't say any more. I dare not say any more. It maddens me when I think of it.' He abruptly changed the subject, and interested Iris by speaking of other and later events. His association with the Invincibles, inexcusably rash and wicked, as he himself confessed it to be, had enabled him to penetrate— and for a time, to defeat secretly the murderous designs of the Brotherhood. His appearances, first at the farmhouse, and afterwards at the ruin in the wood, were referable to changes in the plans of the assassins which had come to his knowledge. When Iris had met with him, he was on the watch, believing that his friend would take the short way back through the wood, and well aware that his own life might pay the penalty if he succeeded in warning Arthur after the terrible discovery of the murder committed on the high road and the escape of the miscreant who had been guilty of the crime the parting of lord harry and miss henley had been the next event she had left him on her return to england and had refused to consent to any of the future meetings between them which he besought her to grant at this stage in the narrative mountjoy felt compelled to ask questions more searching than he had put to irish yet it was possible that she might be trusting her own impressions of lord harry with the ill-placed confidence of a woman innocently self-deceived did he submit willingly to your leaving him mountjoy said not at first she replied has he released you from that rash engagement of some years since which pledged you to marry him no did he allude to the engagement on this occasion? He said he held to it as the one hope of his life. And what did you say? I implored him not to distress me. Did you say nothing more positive than that? I couldn't help thinking, Hugh, of all that he had tried to do to save Arthur, but I insisted on leaving him, and I have left him. Do you remember what he said at parting? He said, while I live, I love you as she repeated the words there was an involuntary change to tenderness in her voice which was not lost on mountjoy i must be sure he said to her gravely of what i tell your father when i go back to him can i declare with a safe conscience that you will never see lord harry again my mind is made up never to see him again she had answered firmly so far her next words were spoken with hesitation in tones that faltered but i am sometimes afraid she said that the decision may not rest with me what do you mean i would rather not tell you that is a strange answer iris i value your good opinion hugh and i am afraid of losing it nothing has ever altered my opinion of you he replied and nothing ever will she looked at him anxiously with the closest attention little by little the expression of doubt in her face disappeared. She knew how he loved her. She resolved to trust him. My friend, she began abruptly, education has done nothing for me. Since I left Ireland, I have sunk, I don't know how or why, into a state of superstitious fear. Yes, I believe in a fatality which is leading me back to Lord Harry, in spite of myself. Twice already since I left home, I have met with him, and each time I have been the means of saving him, once at the milestone and once at the ruin in the wood. If my father still accuses me of being in love with an adventurer, you can say with perfect truth that I am afraid of him. I am afraid of the third meeting. I have done my best to escape from that man, and step by step, as I think I am getting away, destiny is taking me back to him. I may be on my way to him here, hidden, in this wretched little town oh don't despise me don't be ashamed of me my dear i am interested deeply interested in you that there may be some such influence as destiny in our poor mortal lives i dare not deny but i don't agree with your conclusion what destiny has to do with you and with me neither you nor i can pretend to know beforehand in the presence of that great mystery humanity must submit to be ignorant wait iris wait she answered him with the simplicity of a docile child i will do anything you tell me mountjoy was too fond of her to say more of lord harry for that day he was careful to lead the talk to a topic which might be trusted to provoke no agitating thoughts finding iris to all appearance established in the doctor's house he was naturally anxious to know something of the person who must have invited her, the doctor's wife. End of chapter 2